Hey, Awakening Church, and welcome to Midweek. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff. If we haven't met yet, welcome. We are so glad you're joining us for this midweek Bible study. Our plan every week is to just drop into your living room or wherever you're watching from and to encourage you with some scripture and also to lead you uh, to discussion with the people you either live with or your family or with one of our virtual groups. And so if you want to be a part of one of those virtual groups or be more connected to our community, you can easily go to awakeningchurch.com and find that link to get all the information you need. We'd love to plug you into community. We'd also just love to pray for you and to encourage you and to help you with any need you might have. And so on our website, awakeningchurch.com, you can find our support button, which easily guides you to a physical need you might have or a spiritual need that we could pray over. You could set up a 10-minute prayer call with one of our pastors. These are all ways that just we as a church want to care for you. And midweek is just another example of that. We're, we're dropping into your week and just saying, here's a word from the Lord. Might you be encouraged as we continue to work through really difficult and strange times. So we're so glad you're with us. I want to also just point you um, to this Sunday. We have services at 9.30 and 11.15 and want to have you join us this week because we're launching a brand new series and going back to the book of James, which we were in at the kind of the start of this whole quarantine thing. We started James chapter one, took a little break around uh, Easter. Now we're going to jump back into James and Ryan has an amazing series planned out. So would you join us on Sunday? But for now, I want to pray and dive into God's word. We're excited to start a new season in the Psalms. So let me pray uh, for us before we begin here. Heavenly Father, um, we greet you now in our middle of the week, and we ask you, God, to grant us a word from you, that you would use me to communicate whatever it is you want at this time, and that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to receive. And so I pray for my friends, wherever they are, Lord, that you would just speak to them through this broadcast. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're starting this season in midweek through the Psalms. We've been talking a lot about prayer. Then last week, Ryan and Jenny from their home talked a little bit about just how are we doing and a little bit of a on the road to Easter Holy Week update. And now we're in this new season where we're gonna look at this book in the Bible called the Psalms. It's a collection of songs. And uh, what we're gonna do here is you're gonna hear from actually a lot of different communicators over the next couple of weeks. For about 10 weeks up until the summer, um, our plan is to just grab a psalm, something that's encouraging us, and something that's kind of connected to Sunday in the book of James, but that also will help encourage you uh, during this time. So the psalms are an interesting book, but man, I'm excited about spending this season in midweek through this for a couple of reasons. The first is the Psalms are actually a part of your Bible that is called the wisdom literature. If you've ever heard of the Proverbs or the book of Job or Ecclesiastes, the Psalms sometimes fit themselves within what's called wisdom literature. We've actually been going through this with our Bible reading plan, which is available on our website. Our church has been reading through the wisdom literature. James, the New Testament book we're going through over Sundays, that's often called the wisdom book of the New Testament. So our hope is during this time to help seek wisdom and find wisdom as a church. And I think the Psalms are a great complement to that and a great complement to your Bible reading plan. The other reason I think is that 
the Psalms are God's word to us. It's in God's word, right? It's in the Bible, but it's also our words to God. And I think right now, like some of us are struggling with what do we say to God right now? Like what, how do we speak to God? And the cool part about the Psalms is it works two ways. It's one of those books in your Bible that's a two-way book. It's like you get to receive from God's word to your life, but you also get to adopt a kind of language to give back to God. I actually encourage people all the time, when you don't know what to pray, find a Psalm and just pray that Psalm because this, these were all prayers. These were all people that were writing songs to God out of a posture of prayer. So if you need words for God right now, uh, you need words to say to him, look to the Psalms and find encouragement. We hope that through these midweeks, you'll find some language. You know, I love what Eugene Peterson said. He says, we were all spoken to before we spoke, right? Like I've got a little five-month-old son. I mean, he just goo-goos and gagas. He has no language, right? But we're speaking to him all the time. The way he's going to learn the language is by being spoken to. Uh, language, strangely, was not your first language, right? Your first language was like crying or <laughs> fussing like my son does. Well, sometimes in our spiritual walk, we need to learn God's language. We need to learn his word. And that helps us recapitulate it and give it back to God and start praying in a specific way. So I think for all of these reasons and probably you know many more, the Psalms are a really great book for us to sit in. Um, may- maybe lastly, I would just say they're emotional. And I think maybe a lot of us have a mixture of emotions. Well, the Psalms do too. And so all these reasons can give us, you know, encouragement to continue to read them together. So what is God speaking to us in the Psalms? Well, let's start actually with the very first Psalm today, Psalm chapter one. If you've got a Bible, I would love for you to go there. Turn physically in a physical Bible if you've got one. I think that would be awesome. On your phone or an app, the other thing you can do is you can go to a tab, if you're on our online experience, there's a little tab for Bible and you can go to Psalm chapter one. However you get there, I would love for you to just have it open though, because we're gonna be reading through it and studying it during this time. Psalm chapter one, verse one. Let's begin and read this together. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." Psalm 1 is historically seen as the preface to the entire book of Psalms. In fact, as early as the year 300, so many, many years ago, the year 300 or the late 200s, we start to see church fathers start to talk about the first Psalm as the doorway into the rest of the Psalter, the rest of the book of the Psalms. Historically, it seemed almost as like a rubric in order to understand the rest of the book of the Psalms, the rest of the collection of songs, we've got to understand Psalm 1. It's essential for understanding everything else. Psalm 1 is about this choice. If you kind of listened carefully, it juxtaposes righteousness and wickedness. Those are super churchy words, but they're really important for us to understand. 
we can't just redefine them or make up new words. Righteousness and wickedness are essential for understanding the rest of the Psalms and even your whole Bible. Righteousness is about right relationships with God, self, others, and the rest of creation. It's about having a right relationship with God that leads to right relationships with everything else, including a relationship with yourself. That's what the Bible understands when it means righteousness. Sometimes we hear that word, we think morally upright or we think just, but righteousness biblically is about right relationships with all things. The juxtaposition to that would be wickedness. Wickedness is wrong relationships. In other words, it's a violating of God's commands. It's moving away from your relationship with God and from that, violating his commands and causing your relationships to decay. The relationship you have with yourself, the relationship that you have with other people and with the rest of creation. The Bible sees all these relationships as interconnected. And it says the righteous person has right relationships that begin with God. The wicked person has wrong relationships that starts with God and leaks into their whole life into a violation of his commands. I think this pandemic we're in has certainly shown us that juxtaposition, has it not? We see some of the more dramatic moments of human kindness we've ever seen, but also some of the more dramatic moments of human selfishness we've ever seen. It's like crisis seems to put on display righteousness and wickedness so much more clearly, does it not? Psalm 1 is about a choice between righteousness and wickedness. Where will we go? What path might we choose? And all the more during this time, you and I have the choice to go and be people of righteousness and life or people of wickedness and death and decay. I think this psalm will show us this. A fruitful life is possible during all of the seasons we'll, be, uh, we'll see if we reject wickedness and embrace righteousness. If we embrace righteousness and reject wickedness, we will have a fruitful life. Why do I bring up a fruitful life? Well, this is what the psalm starts with. It starts with this word, blessed. It's like, blessed is the one who's not walking in the way of the wicked, but blessed is the righteous person. It's another churchy word. We've talked about this word a lot. I won't spend too much time here, but the biblical writers in the Old Testament and New Testament seem to say that the blessed life is about God's favor and goodness being with you. We've said in the, in the past when we studied the Sermon on the Mount, this word is all over the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. We've talked about this as a word about flourishing, about the expansion of life. I, I've put it this way. It's kind of like a, you're headed in the right direction from God is blessedness. Like God is with you. God is going before you. You're going in the right direction. And blessedness in Psalm 1 is about the right direction being away from wickedness and towards righteousness. And so in order to unpack this, I want to kind of take the journey that this psalm takes and just have you look back at this psalm as we take the journey with it. Three kind of thoughts, the life of the wicked, the life of the righteous, and the destination of both. I'll say that again. It's the life of the wicked, the life of the righteous, and the destination of both. First, let's look at the life of the wicked. This is found in verses one and verses four. In fact, if you're looking just at this little song, Psalm 1, it's just six verses. And verses 1 and 4, it's almost like a sandwich, right? And it talks about the wicked life on verse 1 and verse 4. And right in the middle, it talks about the righteous life. And the wicked life in verses 1 and 4, again, is talking about the departure from God's ways. And he says that this person 
who is wicked is walking uh, in the counsel of the wicked, in the seat of sinners, and the seat of scoffers. And verse four says that if you go this direction, if you turn into become wickedness, you'll become like chaff. And that's like a way of talking about the excess on grain or corn or something like that. A lot of us, I know I'm a city kid. I grew up a city kid. I, I don't understand what chaff is. I had to look it up, okay? It's basically the excess to a plant, right? It's worthless and it's destroyed quickly. And the psalmist says, living a wicked life is kind of like that. It, it limits when you work away from God and away from your relationship with God, you only have the years you have on earth and that's it. And at that point, the psalmist says, that's what life is like. And the psalmist wants you and me to understand the gravity of a wicked life. Like, Be aware and watch out. Do not be like the wicked. Do not be like the one who violates God's commands. He gives kind of three examples and three actions that we actually have to understand. The actions of the wicked person are important because it helps us reconcile with ourselves. Is this where we're going? Is this where we are at? I got these from the scholar Derek Kidner in his commentary on the Psalms. He, he gives us three kind of analogies with these three words. The first is beware of accepting worldly advice. You notice in Psalm 1, it says the counsel of the wicked, right? Scripture is filled with warnings on accepting worldly advice. It's very careful to watch of who we are listening to. In fact, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there's safety. Isn't that cool? The abundance of good counsel, there's actually security. But so, the, the Proverbs and the psalmist alike is saying, be careful of finding your guidance. I think right now in this pandemic age, we might think, well, I'm not really around many people, so I'm not receiving counsel. You'd be sorely mistaken we're probably receiving more counsel than ever. Our televisions, our phones, our emails, everything is constantly talking to us and we have to be careful to learn what are we listening to? What are we receiving guidance from? It's pretty typical to hear modern Western people say, I'm my own individual. I'm my own person. I have my own mind, my own thoughts, and I operate out of my own mind and my own thoughts. But I love the philosopher Dallas Willard says, that's just not true. It's not the way that people actually live. He writes this, today, especially in Western cultures, we prefer to think that we are our own person. We make up our own minds, but that is only because we have been mastered by those who have taught us that we do or should do so. We certainly do not come to that individualistic posture through our own individual and independent insight into ultimate truth. In other words, what Dallas Willard is saying is, you, friend, are being discipled. You are being mastered. You are being counseled. You're being formed. The question is, by whom? Who is going to be forming you? Who is discipling you? Who is teaching you? You see, we are either discipled in the individualistic, secular mindset that we receive from all the internet feeds we have, the news, or we're formed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And the psalmist is saying, do not be careful of being in the counsel of the wicked. Second thing he says is, beware of keeping company with its people. 
Beware of keeping company with its people. That's where it says in, in verse one, to stand in the way of sinners. That sounds very right, biblical, I understand, and quite religious, but it's really just be careful of keeping the company of the wicked. And again, I know we're in social distancing and you're like, I'm keeping company with nobody. I'm keeping company with zero people, right? But actually we keep company uh, with many people online right now. Who are you texting? Who are you emailing? Who are you constantly keeping up with? The word sinner there is the Hebrew word that's used for that term all over. And it's really an offender. Someone who um, is not listening to the ways of God and offending the ways of God. And actually that phrase could be literally translated, don't stand with that person. It's like, I think about who we're standing with right now. Who are we agreeing with and retweeting and yes and amening? Who are we supporting? Who are we focusing our attention on? The Psalm says, be really, really careful of who you associate with. Do you know that there's people you should actually avoid? Do you know that there's people you should actually not spend time around, whether it's virtually or in person? I love when Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5, he gives this long laundry list of um, the kind of qualities. He says things like, avoid people who are lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. These are all these rattling off all these words. At the very end of it, do you know what he says? Avoid such people. That's what, Tim, uh, that's what Paul says to his protege, Timothy. He's like, hey, you're a younger leader. You're a younger pastor. I'm trying to watch out for you. Avoid people like that. Avoid people who offend the ways of God. It doesn't lead to righteousness. It doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to holiness. It doesn't even lead to God himself. You want to pursue God. You want to find God. Be careful of the company that you sit with. And thirdly, he says, be careful of adopting the world's most devastating attitude. What's its most devastating attitudes? Well, the seat of scoffers, that's what he says. The seat of scoffers. Scoffing is one of the more abhorrent, like biblical words. It's like one of the most dangerous things. It's kind of a virtue in our culture today. You know, scoffing is, right? It's like rolling of the eyes. It's like, it's like, what do they know? That is actually a posture that we value. We love that kind of thing. That's like undercutting, Biblically, scoffing is, is to be warned against. We have to watch this in our lives. Scoffing, it's, it's a heart unmovable. It's stone-like, arrogant or unchanging mind. It's a stiffness and a certitude that lacks any humility. Scoffers don't listen. They talk or they think of their own grandiose and judgmental thoughts they are high-minded, pretentious, and haughty. They, they don't care. But scoffiness is sneaky. Because when I read that, I think, well, I, I'm, I'm not like that. I like to give myself grace. Sometimes I'm like that, right? But scoff, scoffing is a sneaky thing. It appears first in seedling form, a quick dismissal, a roll of the eyes, a silent posture in your heart that says, I'm better than them. That's when scoffing begins. And Man, haven't you been there? Aren't you there right now? You know, it's kind of crazy, right? But I think some of our scoffing is like all the more dramatic in this pandemic. It's like, I'm just walking my dog or walking my kid and 
you know, we're, we're out on a walk and it's like you see somebody approach you and you're like six feet, you know? And if they're anywhere close to you, you kind of, I have that creep up in me a little bit where I'm like judgmental. I see people with their kids and how they're dealing with them. And I'm a parent now. I'm like, what are you doing with your kid? You know, like we have these postures of the heart that creep in where we become so judgmental and that leads to scoffing. And the scriptures are saying, be so careful about that heart posture. That is the heart posture of wickedness. It's like chaff that develops a life that doesn't last. How do we move away from these things? Because to embrace these actions is to, is to understand that there's implications. The implication is the chaff. Like, see, this is the important thing about your Bible. Your Bible is not trying to tell you to be a good person. Your Bible's trying to save your life. Psalm 1, notice how dramatic it is. It's juxtaposing chaff and a tree, we're getting there in a second, a tree that is secure in its roots. And then at the end, it talks about judgment. Okay, the Bible is not trying to tell you, don't scoff because that makes you a bad person. The Bible's saying, don't be a scoffer and don't stand in the place of sinners because you'll die. <laughs> like, it's that dramatic. It's not saying be a good little Christian. It's like trying to save your life. And friends, during this pandemic, when, when our life and our health is uncertain, we need to have certainty of our character that the Psalms give us to undergird anything in our life that might go wrong, right? We have to, we have to be that clear about what this is. God leads us away from wickedness for one reason and one reason only, to save your life. God loves your life. God cares about your life. God does not want you to see a hardened, dead heart. He wants a heart that's alive, self-sacrificial, that's like Jesus. And that's the life of the righteous. The second portion of this, verses two and three. The life of the righteous is juxtaposed. Like I said, it's sandwiched in between the life of the wicked. In verse two, it says, his delight, but the, on the other side, while this is the wicked, actually blessed is the one who, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, it says. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Yeah, the righteous are, again, they're those who are in right relationship with God. And in right relationship with God, they have right relationship with self, themselves, with others, and with the rest of creation. And the righteous person here is first understood with these actions, delighting and meditating. I love this because like I said, when we think about righteous people, sometimes we think about like morally upright people. But the Bible's first descriptor here in Psalm 1 of a righteous person is someone who's delighting and meditating on the ways of God. It's like, it's, it's almost as if the psalmist is like, if you get this, if you just delight and meditate on the word of God, you'll be okay. Like delight and meditate and love God's word and allow it, you're not gonna be perfect, but allow it to just, sit with you and it will change you. It doesn't say, you know, blessed is the righteous man who is good for these six reasons. Gives you all these things to be a good person. No, just be obsessively delighting in the word of God and you'll be like this righteous person to delight and to meditate. Then you'll be like a tree that's planted by streams of water. It's actually the exact opposite of the chaff I was talking about. It's like this long lasting 
deep-rooted tree. God's trying to save your life to delight and meditate on God's word. Makes me think about Jesus's uh, teaching in John 15, really famous passage we've looked at many times. John 15, seven says this, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I loved, I, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. The very next verse in John um, 15 verse 11 talks about our joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Sometimes we stress out about God's nearness in our life. Sometimes we stress out about, our, am I close to God? I love that Jesus connects his abiding with keeping commands because I think it's very Psalm 1-like. Psalm 1 says, delight in the word, delight in the law of the Lord, meditate on it, and you'll be like a tree that's planted. Jesus in John 15, 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. I've put it very simply this way before. Abiding equals obeying. It's that simple. Abiding equals obeying. Listen again to his word, John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. See, we focus so much sometimes on our feeling about if we're close to God, as opposed to just focusing on God's word and asking, what is God asking me to do today? When we ask that question, we understand that while we obey God and walk with him, albeit imperfectly, not perfectly, we know we're with God. We're abiding with him. We don't have to trust our feelings. God's nearness to us is not so much about our feelings as it is about obedience. You don't have to spend time wondering if God is near. God is present everywhere. It is by our obedience and delighting and meditating on his commands that brings our awareness to that very reality that he's present everywhere. Like a branch connected to a vine, John 15, or like a tree planted by streams of water, Psalm 1, life in God, a righteous life, is one that is connected to God through obedience. And like I said, we miss the order. We usually lead with the feeling. I feel joy, so then I'll obey God. Or I like that command. That makes me feel good, so I will obey that command. The Bible reverses the order. Jesus says, I've given you, you these commands so that your joy may be full. It's not that we look at a command and we say, that makes me feel good, therefore I, I'll now obey it. No, we obey it. And that brings the joy. That brings it. Uh, it doesn't always bring it immediately. It doesn't always bring it right away. In fact, sometimes it doesn't bring it for a long, long time. But there is, trust me, a deep and abiding joy awaiting you as you obey him because the deep and abiding joy is the presence of God, the abiding with Jesus. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I see this to be true. And man, I feel like I only see this like, 10% true. I mean, there's days I struggle trusting God's word for what it is. There's so many days I want to be 
uh, have a different selfishness or have a different kind of like, you know, I don't want to tell the whole truth all the time. I don't want to keep my word all the time. But God's word is saying, Chris, trust me. As you walk in my ways, you will be brought to joy. And again, the implication of this is lasting fruit. You got to understand the action is developing and meditating on God's word and delighting in God's word. The implication is lasting fruit. Do you want a life that has lasting fruit? Do you know what I mean by this? Lasting fruit is like when you're dead and gone, there is elements of your life that are passed down, whether through friends that you, people who've known you or your family, your children. Do you want to have a fruitful life, a life that bears fruit? Delight and meditate and obey and abide with Jesus and that will lead you to a good lasting life. You know, there's a part of me when I teach on this kind of stuff and really reflect on it, I'm reminded that this is kind of why I hate being young. I mean, I'm 32. I'm still considering myself young. Some people call me old. I have gray hairs, but I don't like being young for this reason. Most of the time you love being young, right? You got like your, your body's intact, right? You're, you know, my kids are, my kid is little, you know, and so I have joy with that. But I feel stuck inside my own inexperience. I feel stuck inside my own lack of fully understanding the ways of God. And there's like, if I'm not lying, there's actually a lot of days I kind of can't wait to be old for a couple of reasons. Because I want to see Psalm 1 in my life. Like I so badly want to be the tree that's planted by streams of water and I want to bear fruit. Like I see this in old people. I, I see this in like my grandfather who actually, he passed away a couple years ago, but he was somebody I saw this life. It was like so secured. There was so much fruit in my grandfather's life. You know, and he wasn't any kind of preacher. He was a missionary for a little while, but then he was a public school teacher like his whole life. And he prayed every day for his family and followed the commands of God. Wasn't perfect, hurt people in his life. Certainly didn't lead a perfect life but he lived a righteous life. And I wonder when I look at him, I go, I want to see that in my life, but I feel stuck, right? I feel like I'm not there yet. Or a mentor of mine, Dr. Gary Brashears, he's in his 70s. Some of you guys have heard teaching from him. He's a professor at Western Seminary, been a mentor of mine over the last couple of years. He lives a Psalm 1 life. He's gone through some tough things, real hardships. There's something so secure about his life there's also just tremendous fruit in his life between his family and his ministry. Like there's just stuff that will outlast Gary. And I look at my life and I go, man, I wanna be like those men who live long and faithful lives. And that's the part of the Psalm that I love most is that the promise to the righteous is that they will bear fruit, quote unquote, in its season. It'll yield fruit in its season. And I think when you're younger, I know a lot of our church, like 65% or something is under 30. A lot of us need to understand that it's not our season yet or that we're bearing fruit, but really the harvest of our life might come in a little bit. Or even on the macro level, like it's just not our season to bear fruit because we're going through tremendous suffering, man. And like things are hard. 
And maybe just for these couple of weeks or couple of months, we're just in a dry, difficult season. The psalmist says, you're not bearing fruit all the time. Look back at verse three. He is like a tree planted that yields fruit in its season. You've got to trust God that as you're abiding and as you are obeying, fruit will come, even if fruit's not coming right now. Or like with me, like I said right now, it's not like my life is fruitless. It's just that I believe the longer I follow Jesus, more fruit is coming. And I've got to trust him and stay anchored to him and trust his commands that what he says is true. Because I see fruit happening in my life, but God says, Chris, hang on, continue in my ways. More fruit is coming. You will bear fruit as you're my disciple. And for those of you that are, that are younger in your faith, God is producing fruit. He's gonna produce so much more the more you follow him. I promise this. I've seen it in my own limited life, 15 years following Jesus, 10 years as a pastor. I've seen it at the, the micro level. I'm trusting God to see it at the macro level, to see it as I continue to follow him. I, I want to see that. It's talking on the podcast that we have, the midweek podcast I do. It's like a lot of us want grocery store Christianity. The problem with living life right now is that you and I can buy a tomato December on a random Tuesday in December at 2 a.m. We can go get a tomato. That is not the truth for most people in the world. Most people in the world, their diet changes based off the season. It's not bearing fruit year round. It's not bearing certain vegetables or fruits year round. See, and a lot of us who are younger, we want a kind of Christianity that's grocery store. Like we could go to the supermarket anytime and get any fruit we want. And in Christianity, we want to be able to bear fruit anytime and any season. The truth is you will yield fruit in the right season. And I know for many of us in this pandemic, this is a really, really tough season. But I think God can bear tremendous fruit in difficult, difficult times. Christianity does not operate like a grocery store. You can't go get fruit anytime at 2 a.m. You've got to trust God for the long haul of life and watch the seasons change. The fruit will come. You've got to trust the Lord and continue to trust him because Christianity is a lot more like a forest or a farm than it is like a grocery store. We have to trust God with this because finally there comes a destination. See, at the end of this psalm, it leads us to a destination of both the righteous and the wicked. Look at what it says at the end of the psalm. It says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, God is trying to save your life. A destination here is pictured at the end of the psalm, and that destination is, is judgment, which is maybe kind of harsh for you. Maybe that sounds a little intense. But really, what does it mean when it says the wicked will not stand in judgment? It, the, maybe a better way to phrase that as you look at the original languages would be this. The wicked will be unable to stand in judgment. Like they'll be unable to stand next to God because when, when chaff meets God, ultimately it's, it's dead, it's done, it's gone. When, when, when chaff shows up into the eternal, it disappears. The righteous, it's saying, no, the righteous will stand in the congregation. Judgment is not this scary thing when you know the judge. 
Judgment is not this frightening thing when the verdict is in. You see where I'm getting. The gospel says that the verdict is in. The verdict is in because you are connected to Christ. The psalmist says this picture, the one who's able to withstand judgment will be the righteous. Why? This is because the righteous know God. It's not that the righteous are better people or anything like that. It's just the only reason the righteous live to stand through the judgment of God is because they are connected to God himself. And that God has stepped off the judgment seat and taken the penalty for us on the cross. And because of that, and because we are connected to the judge through the power of the cross, the righteous are able to withstand judgment. Not because of anything good they've done. The righteous are not the people who are standing through judgment because they're morally good. To be righteous is not to be a super religious person and once you get to judgment, God deems you super religious and you're good. No, it's not that the righteous know a lot of things. It's not that they've optimized the kind of life to master self-care, to present themselves as good before God. No, to be righteous is to be rightly rooted. And when we are rightly rooted daily in meditating on God's word, our roots are planted by the streams of living water. If we desire to withstand judgment, if we desire to live eternal life, we, are, we must connect to Christ himself, to know Jesus. Jesus calls himself the true vine in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In John 7, 37, Jesus says he's the living water. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, whoever believes in me, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. When Jesus says these things, he's connecting to hundreds of Old Testament analogies, and one of which is in Psalm 1 here. The picture of the tree that is planted by streams of water is the picture of a tree that is rooted in Christ. Makes me think of one of my favorite verses in Colossians 2, 6 that says, therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus, your Lord, therefore walk in him rooted and established in love. Isn't that a cool verse? Just as you received Jesus, do you remember that day? Or you were baptized or you said yes to the Lord? It's with the same fervor that you received Jesus, stay rooted in him. Just as you received Jesus, so walk in him rooted and established in love. The righteous are those with right relationships with all people, with themselves and with the rest of creation. But the reason they have those right relationships is because they have a right relationship with God that is made possible through Jesus, the true vine, the living water, the tree that's planted by streams of living water. It's not just a metaphor, it's a reality that you and I can live as we delight and meditate on God's word and daily are encouraged by him and stay faithful, we realize on the cross, Jesus has taken judgment for us. You'll notice if you look back at the beginning of the psalm that Jesus took all of the things in verse one. It says, you know, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, the way of sinners and the seed of scoffers. We just celebrated Good Friday and Easter. And you'll notice, Jesus was all of those places, was he not? Jesus sat in the seat of scoffers. 
Jesus was mocked and beaten. He was placed in the counsel of the wicked and the judgments ruled against him in an unjust court. Jesus literally stood in the way of sinners. So while the Psalm says, reject wickedness, why can we reject wickedness? Because Jesus took it for us. He stood in the way of sinners. He sat in the counsel of the wicked. He literally sat in the seat of scoffers so that you and I do not have to. That you and I do not have to be like that. That you and I do not have to take those things into our lives. Because Jesus took them on the cross, we are now empowered to live the righteous life that he gives to us. We don't generate it ourselves. We simply stay with him and watch the fruit produce in our lives. May you continue to trust Jesus, stay rooted and anchored in him as the streams of living water flow through your roots. During this difficult time, remember, seasons will change. The fruit will come. Let me pray for you. Jesus, would you grant to us the perseverance that we need to continue to stay rooted in you? And would you, God, help my brothers and sisters that I so desperately miss seeing on a weekly basis? Would you help my brothers and sisters stay encouraged in their faith? God, use the Psalms as we read them, reflect on them, and meditate on them. Would you use them to transform our lives, to encourage us in the righteous life, as we trust you, as you bear fruit in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for joining us, you guys. We'll see you Sunday.